Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, we're taking a look at the pipeline industry. Historically, these businesses have been reliable, steady dividend payers. However, with the rise of ESG investing, they've become less loved by the market. Motley Fool Canada analyst Nate Parmalee joins me uh, this week to share his thoughts on the pipeline business and its potential for investors. Nate, thanks so much for joining me today. Great to be here. Uh, Great to have you. You know, for folks who've been listening to the podcast for a long time, this is Nate's first time on the show, so I, so I want to welcome uh, Nate on the podcast. Can you tell our listeners, what do you do um, at The Motley Fool? How long have you been here? What kind of companies do, uh, interest you? Uh, I'm a generalist. I've been here, which means I invest everywhere and look at everything. Um, and that's partly because in most of the 17 years I've been at The Motley Fool, I've been focused on international investing. So by nature, you kind of fall into more of a generalist than industry-specific sphere. Um, but I also invest across styles, so growth um dividends value etc um and currently within the fool i'm one of the co-advisors on our fintech fortune service um i also help out with our dividend investor canada service and across really all the products we have in canada yeah so uh very exciting so you mentioned that the dividend investor uh canada work we're gonna be talking about uh you know the pipeline industry today historically uh been very much a dividend paying industry what do you look for in a dividend stock you're picking stocks for Dividend Investor Canada. What, what are the traits you're looking for? Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Um, and, and really, it comes down to cash flow with valuation if you want a big yield now. Um, and if you're looking further out, it's what's the cash flow growth and what can that dividend growth be? Um, I, I tend to prefer the dividend growth stories myself. but Yeah, you, you need to have work. that cash coming in the door. And hopefully, you got more cash coming in the door so you can pay me uh, more and more. So I mentioned off the top that historically, these pipeline businesses have been the, these steady reliable cash flow businesses that make for for decent dividend payers. Why do you think these are, these uh, have historically been good good dividend stocks? Uh, well, I, I live in New England and I, I've got to heat my house and I use natural gas and a lot of my neighbors use natural gas. Um, really out here, if you either use natural gas for the most part or you have a truck pull up once a month or so and you have a big tank in your basement and they fill it with heating fuel, which is essentially diesel uh, that's colored differently so people don't try to resell it. Um, but th- that's really the option. It's either that or go cold, um, and you can't really have your pipes burst. So nobody goes cold. <laughs> yeah, so this is a pretty steady it. demand here, right? I mean, people like to Absolutely. be warm. They will pay what they need to pay to get warm. And then you know, to, yep. to go to the where the pipeline business plays in, uh, these companies have kind of a stranglehold, if, uh, if you will, on the supply getting to your house. It has to go through their pipes to get there. Mm-hmm, exactly. And and it's not just to the houses, it's also to power plants, which increasingly, you know, a number have been shut down over the last decade from that were coal and new plants have been built that use natural gas. And those are expected to last decades, not just a few years. Um, so there's consistent demand. It's not just heat. It's also electricity. People use it for cooking, other industrial uses. It's And it's also pipelines aren't just natural gas. There's oil sands. Um, gasoline, all sorts of things run through pipelines. 
Absolutely. And so when you think about yet you have this pipeline in place, you own the pipe, you kind of have a monopoly on that that transportation source. Once you have this this pipe in place, it doesn't really make sense to put a parallel pipe in there until the first one's at at full production. When you talk about competition with other forms of transportation, it's cheaper to throw it in a pipe than it is to put it on a truck or a railroad or any of those sorts of things. Uh, and, and safer. And safe, yeah, safer, safer. Uh, that as well. Uh, it, it, and we, we mentioned earlier how you need to, need to uh, turn your house on. These things are systemically important. We just learned in the past few months with the Colonial Pipeline incident, you turn this thing off for a weekend or, or half a week, I think it turned out, and you have people across the country lining up to, to get gasoline. So these things are, are super, super important. One thing um, you know, I mentioned off the top, there, there's the rise of ESG, and, and you mentioned that the, the hazardous nature of these things. These are highly regulated entities. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and that's part of the reason you don't have parallel pipelines is never mind the economics and capacity. It's nobody wants another pipeline running through unless it's absolutely necessary, just because everything running through there is technically toxic. You know, nobody wants it leaching into groundwater or anything else. Right. Nobody wants their house right, right next door to the pipeline, even though everybody wants to have the pipeline running and operating smoothly because it this is the, the what allows the whole economy and, and those sorts of things to run smoothly. Again, go back to the Colonial Pipeline um, example. And we, we've seen, uh, because of, of these regulatory issues and, and stronger and stronger attitudes um, uh, against having these things constructed, it's become more and more difficult to build pipelines. So one example is right at the start of the, the Biden administration, uh, the new presidency shut down um, the permit for the Dakota Access Pipeline. You talk about difficulty building a pipeline. It's been three presidencies that they've had to, uh, to figure out whether they're going to be able to build this thing or not. And so it's getting harder and harder to build these, which in a way makes these, this existing infrastructure that much more valuable. It does. Um, and it also kind of limits the ways we can move things around without building new pipelines um, and, and how we go about it. And it, longer term, it probably does make the alternatives of wind and solar and other means of power generation, whether it be hydro or other things more important. But these are things that will take decades to roll out. And it's you can't just switch from one to the other cleanly. We need pipelines. We need those other technologies as well. Yeah, that's an important point to make, right? So that the higher the transportation cost it is to get whatever the commodity is from from the well or wherever it comes out of the ground to the end user, that's going to get baked into the end price. And the end user looks at those substitutes and, you know, sooner or later, uh, uh, folks switch away. So one thing we've seen as it's become harder to build pipelines, there's also fewer people interested in owning pipelines. And we're seeing some continued consolidation in the space. So a lot of folks might be familiar with about a year ago, Berkshire Hathaway bought up Dominion Energy's pipeline business, natural gas pipeline business for I think it was about $10 billion enterprise value. This was a, uh, a utility kind of getting out of the pipeline business. Earlier this week, we had a similar deal with Kinder Morgan buying up the natural gas pipeline distribution uh, from Stagecoach uh, Services, which is a joint venture between Con Edison um, and, and another company. What do you make of this consolidation in, in the pipeline industry more broadly? I think some of it comes down to COVID and a lot of folks who didn't have expansion projects going, going on, cash piled up. And so now they're looking at and, and a lot of these stocks are somewhat cheap. So now they're looking at, do we buy the assets that are in place or do we look at expansion projects? And I think what they're finding is assets in place are kind of more attractive and lower risk because they're already in place. You don't have to deal with a lot of the extra hurdles you have to go through um, with expansion um, separate from cost or factored into cost, I guess I would say. Um, 
So I think that's part of what's going on. Um, I also just think there's fewer and fewer opportunities. So as the bigger folks use their scale to their advantage, they're going to look to to buy up attractive assets where they can. Yeah, you know, when you're talking about that, we, we mentioned, um, so, you know, maybe a month or two ago, we talked about this, this uh, the Kansas City Southern deal about how there's not that many railroads out there. And if you're in the industry and you want to you wanna go make a deal happen, right, uh, there's not that many deals out there. And, you know, I think it's obviously significantly less consolidated in pipelines than it is in railroads, but there is that dynamic a little bit. There's only so much out there. Um, and when a deal comes open, you know, uh, there's going to be lots of people bidding on it, or potentially, which ties us into to maybe our main story that we want to talk about um, today, which is uh, this week we've got a continuing bidding war uh, for pipeline assets. So Interpipeline um, is up for sale, and there are two different companies um, bidding on this asset. We've got Pembina Pipeline, um, which folks may or may not be familiar with, but folks I definitely are familiar with if they listen to the show is Brookfield Infrastructure, the uh, the infrastructure arm uh, of Brookfield Asset Management. Nate, can you uh, can you frame up uh, what's going on here in this bidding war and what's Brookfield doing and where are we going here? Um, well, Brookfield is always just out where, you know, can I find an undervalued asset? Can I get it at a, still get it at a good price? I'll buy it. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how they operate. Um, and, and they're everywhere. It's not just in infrastructure, they're in property, they're in everything. Um, uh, Pembina is pipelines, pretty much. It is just a pipeline business. Um, and they have, with a combination with Interpipeline, they have an interesting, potentially interesting relationship in that they have propane supply and Interpipeline has built a new pipeline or is building a new pipeline into a petrochemical facility that needs propane supply. So Pembina has it. There's kind of a nice integration possibility there. Um, what Pembina doesn't have is the balance sheet strength or the access, same access to capital as Brookfield. They have good access to capital, but almost nobody has the same access to capital as Brookfield, except for maybe Berkshire and some a few others in the space. Um, so I think it comes down to what is, in a sense, what does Brookfield want to pay? Because they can outbid if they want to. And then how much do, do interpipeline shareholders value what Pembina brings to the table um, as far as propane assets and the integration? And is the sum, you know, some of the two greater than they are individually? Because Pembina's deal is an all stock deal. So in theory, you would see that appreciation if you're an interpipeline shareholder, whereas the majority of Brookfield's deal is um, cash. So do you want cash now or do you want to hold out and see that bigger return in the future? That's that's another thing shareholders need to weigh. Yeah. So, so it's yeah, so you got one group that has synergies and no cash and another one that has a bucket of cash and, and arguably less synergies. Now, Brookfield sophisticated operators, I'm sure they, they see some ways that they can they can wring efficiency out of here. But uh, but th- these these are kind of kind of the challenges. Why? What makes Brookfield like why do they have so much access to capital? Like what makes them such kind of a, a big uh, uh, player in this industry and such someone to be uh, a, a, someone to, a formidable person to face? great capital allocators that have been at it for decades. I mean, that's <laughs> you, you prove yourself, you do it for decades, you amass your own capital, never mind people who are willing to give you capital to invest um, or lend you capital. Um, that, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I think another factor uh, layered in here is um, the, P- the Pembina offer is can close, uh, excuse me, the Brookfield offer can close much more quickly than that's the, P- the Pembina aspect. offer. Yeah. So if, if you're a shareholder in Interpipeline, and um, which would you prefer here and why? I, I always kind of, I tend to lean towards 
what is the long-term return I can get? A lot of times when my small caps get bought out, I'm disappointed because I feel like, oh, they could have achieved so much more. Um, so I, and I would, and a lot of times you get cash and you wish you could have gotten stock. Um, uh, with pipelines, it's a little bit tougher. I think uh, I would lean towards Pembina, but I could see going either way. I think a lot of investors prefer if they're getting bought out, just get the cash and go, what's, what's my next investment? Yeah, I guess when you think about pipelines, this is a kind of a cash flow stream. At the end of the day, you know, Brookfield is essentially discounting this existing cash flow stream. You would think with with how with the price that they're going to pay for this acquisition with the Pimbina deal, you can tell a story that it's not just what we have today. It's something that we can have in the future. We can go down market, become more 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 down market, up market, both ways, I guess, become more vertically integrated um, with how we sell our products. So perhaps there's there's more uh, more margin they can capture. We'll see what happens. How do you think it, it ends up playing out? Do you, you know, I think you said privately that if Brookfield wants this, you think they can have it? Pretty much. I mean, they, they really can't be outbid. Uh, I'm sure Pembina can bring some cash to the table if they work at it. Um, by the same token, if I were an interpipeline shareholder and I could have Brookfield stock, which they're probably not going to give you a lot of because that's expensive capital, it does, it, you know, they get good returns. Um, uh, then I would probably take Brookfield stock. I, I think it could really go either way. I, I'm really curious to see if interpipeline sweetens their offer again. Yeah, which which comes back to what we were, uh, you know, one of these other themes that, that we were talking about earlier. There's only so many pipes out here left left there's only uh you know it's very difficult to construct new pipelines should we expect more consolidation and in the cases where you know it becomes clear that that something's up for bid more and more of these bidding wars i think now where assets are kind of reasonably priced i think we will see consolidation because you've got kinder morgan brookfield um and some other players there are a number of folks in this industry who have been pretty good at allocating capital and growing um, some of that's been, you know, they've had a tailwind of sorts from from gas and, and shale oil and other things, but they've done well. Um, and there's some smart people out there. So as long as they can get assets at reasonable prices, I think we'll see consolidation. Well, and another of those things about assets at reasonable prices, you see these companies, you know, you could think of Brookfield as kind of a private equity business, you know, um, when you see these folks come in, it's because there's some reason in the public market that these things maybe aren't being adequately valued or, or not getting as much valuation. We mentioned off the top that there, there's more and more of the ESG push, more and more folks who don't want to own assets like pipelines. Do you think that's structurally creating an opportunity that these, these stocks are undervalued for a reason? I think in the near term, yes. I've seen this before with pipelines. Nobody wanted to own pipelines and you know into the financial crisis. Um, it happened again with COVID. Um, but in between, there was a period where pipelines were kind of expensive. Um, everybody wanted to have them because of all the gas and other things that were going into them, the expansion projects and the growth, um, et cetera. I think when, when you see it slow down, you see people lose interest. Um, so for now, yes, but I'm not sure pipelines are, as as far as investor interests, are gone forever. Okay, which, which kind of raises my question as we start to kind of uh, tie things up. A little bit. What are you watching as we look out into the next, say, five, ten years? We've laid out this theme of, of, you know, more difficult regulatory pressure, consolidation, things like that. What are you paying attention to going forward? Um, I think who has expansion projects still um, out there, and what what they can add to the businesses. And I, I also think it's curious. I've read about some cities um, starting to say, you know, no new construction with natural gas, and some states seeing that and trying to preempt their cities. From enacting um, similar legislation, uh, I'm 
to me, that probably hurts the utilities that provide natural gas more than the pipeline folks, because still going to be making electricity using natural gas. And we still have all those other assets. Um, folks still need to heat their homes, things like that. So I don't see them going away. But that is a dynamic that I think is worth watching over the next few years and how it evolves. Right. So if we move away from natural gas for heating, there's going to be a substitution effect because people aren't going to stop heating their houses, right? I don't think we're all going to start sleeping in the cold anytime soon. So in theory, you're going to go to some type of electric-based heat pump, something like that. Well, that takes electricity to power it. And so, you know, you can tell a story where, right, the uh, you're not taking natural gas straight into your house anymore or heating oil or what have you um, through small pipes. But instead, you're using the same amount of energy to heat your home, but it's going to a big pipe to the utility. And then the utility um, is having to charge, you know, it charges you more for for power. So I, do, can you foresee a world where there's less at the home use of, of natural gas or some of these heating oil, but yet the net use of it in, in energy goes up? It's really tough because electric heat is also less efficient. I think the heat pumps do a little bit better than the baseboard electric heat, but it's it's more expensive in general to use electric heat. You're usually better off using natural gas, then oil, and then electric. Um, Cut out the middleman. Yeah, right. exactly, yeah. in a sense. But I think you'd have to see electricity prices change. And it would be great to have solar or wind or something like that, but but on a cloudy day in New England, you need something else. <laughs> You're not going to, solar is not going to work for you. It's got to be somewhere and, and shipped in over the grid or something else. Yeah. So, so something so in monitor is, is what, what do those substitutions look like over the next few years? Because there, this, you know, political trend uh, is probably not going to reverse, I guess, in the, in, in the super near term. Um, one last thing, Nate. So uh, we've talked about pipelines, talked about various companies here. There's probably folks who listen and say, hey, man, you know, maybe I want to go look at some pipelines to invest in. I think this industry is interesting. Uh, what would be the, the short list of, you know, if you wanted to make, these are the places I would start looking in, in the pipeline space for stocks to consider consider buying. What, what are the companies that come to mind for you? Um, I mean, I'm always keeping an eye on Kinder Morgan. That's one. Um, Pembina is one that I've, I've kept an eye on and thought about in the past. Um, they've got a great monthly dividend, which is attractive if you're an income investor. It's great to, to get that payment coming in every month as opposed to you know, two times, four times a year. That's always great. Um, trying to think outside of that. Some of the MLPs are interesting, but then you're dealing with the, you know, the extra forms on your taxes. So you better be, depending on how much, how much that bothers you having to deal with the extra, uh, I think it's the K1 forms on your taxes and jumping through those extra hoops, um, enterprise product partners, um, Onio, some of the others are, are interesting as well. But uh, my preference is to simplify my taxes. I've, I've done the MLPs in the past, and if I'm getting a great deal, I'm happy to do them, but I, I have to make a lot of money to want to put in the extra time, plug in all the, plug in all the data into my taxes, which never seems to go right. <laughs> right, it's the return on brain damage thing, right? Um... Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, we'll throw those uh, those tickers in the description of the show for everybody. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to having you on again soon. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Nate Parmalee, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. 